Today, I'm, I'm going to take us uh, down the road a little bit on, uh, as you know, this is Palm Sunday, which is a celebration of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It's the first public declaration of Jesus as Messiah. And uh, so Palm Sunday always precedes, obviously, Easter Sunday. Um, but I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, where we're going. Oh, I've got some more slides, don't I? Let me talk about my trip to London last week. Because the two tie together. Right? Okay, so that's why I knew I was wrong because I was like, okay, let me show you the first slide here. This behind me is uh, it's called the Tower of London. It was actually built in just like a, a thousand and seventy-eight, I think, or something like that. It's where the crown jewels are, uh, where they are guarded twenty-four hours a day by British SAS. It's the most fortified area uh, in that part of the world. And so you'll see off to the left, my left uh, or your left, my cousin Renee. This is Renee Hernandez. Um, I grew up with Renee in Michigan. And, uh, and Renee teaches, she's a doctor who teaches other doctors. And so uh, she is the reason why we ended up going to London because she is connected with a, a group that's uh, called the Student Global Leadership Conference. And so uh, she and I presented on volunteering. Jerry, you'll love my line. I said, I'm going to teach you how to be good for nothing. Volunteering is being good for nothing. So uh, anyway, and there is a holly sighting. You all wondered if my wife was still around, right? Well, she is, and there she is. Go ahead. Next one. Um, this is uh, this uh, tube and Gloucester Road sign is this is a symbol for the London Underground and so it's their subway system that goes throughout London uh, a lot of several different lines uh, but the the London Underground symbol is that is that red symbol and Gloucester Road was the closest we we, we stayed about a block away from Gloucester Road right um, so what's funny is when you go to Europe and you, you kind of know this from here and you you know this from history but uh, uh, everything around here was named after everything over there. And so when you get over there, you're like, oh, 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 wow. Oh, check that out. That thing is named after, oh, yeah, but, you know. And so there was a lot of that, right? And, uh, and so, uh, but I just thought it was interesting that, that the closest underground station to us was Gloucester Road. So I said, oh, you got to get a picture of that, right? And here's the last one. Or is that the last one? Nope, here, here we are. Okay, so this is me and Renee decked out for our, our teaching. This is in the map room of the Royal Geographical Society in London. And what that is, is every, uh, every, ex, uh, uh, every kind of group that they sent out, expedition is the word I was looking for, every expedition that ever went out from England went out from the Royal Geographical Society. And so we are standing in the map room. And so for, for as long as England has been around until things went digital, uh, all the maps of the excursions of the whole world, the planet, wherever they were colonizing, wherever they were sending out expeditions are there. And there's this huge picture, I sent it to the missions team, there's this huge picture of Dr. Livingstone, who was a missionary who, who went from uh, uh, England and went to Africa and spent his life in Africa evangelizing. And so there's, he, he has a place of honor in the map room. I was like, praise God, you know, they, they're not rewrite, rewriting, but so much history, right? And uh, one of the things that, that was striking to me about going to, uh, going to England, particularly as it relates to, uh, uh, to where we live in this part of the world, is that there are this, there's these connections to an older 
There's a connection to uh, another piece of history, something that was before that causes what we have here to kind of make a little more sense, shed a little more light, a little more understanding. Oh, that's where this name came from. Who in the world came up with this name? Well, somebody back there did. Um, Let me talk to you about how that relates to how we understand our Bible. I'm going to teach you about uh, some things that you may not have learned, but I think uh, it'll help my message make a little more sense. Um, There's an old saw that you hear when you go to Bible college, and maybe you've heard it in church, and maybe you've heard it in Sunday school. It goes something like this. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. Say that with me. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, right? That's the first part. Second part is the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Say that out loud. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So what you have are are both covenants. You have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, other words for Old Testament and New Testament, and, and they, they are part of a, co- a cohesive whole. 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And if you only take one verse out of one piece, you're not getting the fullest understanding of what it is that God is trying to come across with. Now, uh, put that teaching on the shelf for a second, and I'll come back to it. Um, In America, we could better be known as the United States of Entertainment. Follow the money. Follow the money, and you'll find out what Americans are really all about. We love to play. We love, we, love our, we, we love stuff that has to do with entertainment, everything to do with entertainment. Can I tell you that entertainment is like a drug, you know, that however you feel the first time you get entertained is going to cause you to go back and get more entertainment. You're going to have to have more and more and more in order to feel as good as you did the first time that you got entertained. And, and, and sufficient for the day is the entertainment thereof. But then you're going to have to go back and get another batch of it tomorrow, right? So entertainment uh, is, is something that's very passive, but we as Americans don't like anything else unless we've got a little side slice of entertainment going along with it. Let me, let me take you a little further, and, and I'll illustrate this, and you'll know what I'm talking about. How many of you uh, have, uh, you know, have at least um, a sixth-grade diploma? I'm trying to cover everybody here. Okay, you, got, you made it to sixth grade. Hallelujah. You made it to eighth grade. How many got a high school diploma? Yeah. Uh, GED. Cool. You know, but how many of you had uh, an instructor somewhere along the line in your educational journey, and you knew they knew what they were talking about, but it sounded to you like, you know, you, you, you were getting it, but it was dry, and you didn't appreciate it, and you were like, come on, at least crack a smile, something, you know, and uh, I won't tell you about the sociology teacher that I had when I was in eighth grade that was beyond her retirement age. And how we, uh, we as uh, students went in one day and turned our, our chairs completely around and faced them to the back. And, and, uh, and, and she, you know, oh, we were just terrible with her. We had to entertain ourselves because she wasn't entertaining us. 
right? Education is, is something that we, we gather information in order to get educated. And, and I'm, I'm all about learning. I'm all about education. Please don't hear what I'm saying in the context of, of you don't need education. We need, you need as much education as your brain can absorb. So what degree, Pastor Ken? I don't know. It just depends on your brain. How much education can you absorb? And go get that. Because it'll help you somewhere down the line. But the, the Bible tells us, keeps things in perspective for us though. Because the Bible says, knowledge puffs up, but love, what? Builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so there, in, in God's way of thinking, um, no matter how much education you get, he is still going to be the all-knowing God. And fear of the Lord is, after all, the beginning of wisdom right? So knowledge is important. You need as much knowledge as you possibly can have, but you need to be edified. You need to be built up. Why? Because edification comes from the inside of you, and it's part of the interaction of the person of the Holy Spirit revealing the Word of God on the inside of you. If you have the Word of God revealed on the inside of you, you will be edified first and transformed second. Now, the reason that I'm sharing all of this with you is because we have today, both an Old Testament and a New Testament uh, a connection coming together. And I was afraid that if I just shared with you the story of, of the, uh, the triumphal entry, you'd have the New Testament side, but you wouldn't have the Old Testament understanding. And I want you today to get revelation. I don't want you to just get educated. And hopefully there'll be just a smidgen enough entertainment that, well, we've shared a few laughs already this morning, haven't we? So we've had a good time. So, uh, so what I want to get us to the place is that we would actually get edified from what it is the Lord has for us today. And the reason that this is important for us to walk together and have this understanding is because as Americans, we, we like to reduce things down to their bare minimum. You know, if I can, if you can give me the whole counsel of God in 165 characters so that I can text you what the whole counsel of God is, hey, good on you. Thank you so much. I've got everything I need from the Lord. We, we, we practice regularly. Well, what do I really need to know from this? Can you just get to the bottom line? And we get rid of all the context and all of the, the details that make our minds just, oh, ah, ah, and I get it. I feel that. I'm American too. But I've come to appreciate the fact that this, and I'm going to use a big word and I apologize. I don't know what else to do. The reductionist approach to our faith causes us to lose out on the revelation that God wants us to have. And if we would have that revelation, we would be edified. And if we would be edified, we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Edification is different than education. And some people are always about learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. The word of God will tell us, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Set you free from what? Set you free from the world system. 
set you free from your pride? What do you need? What does God say you need to be set free from? Well, you move into the truth and the truth will make you free from those things. Okay. So, so as you and I think through this today, I, I want you, I hope that, that you'll get one thing out of this. I hope that anytime that you hear a teaching that you will listen and you'll say, okay, where, where's the, where's the text that this is coming from? And if it's Old Testament, you look at the Old Testament and you say, okay, where's the New Testament part? If, if, if they're giving me the part that is concealed, where is it revealed? That you would balance out and you would say, okay, everything that God said in the Old Testament is incomplete without the New Testament. You can't understand Genesis unless you understand Revelation. You need, you need the pass-through of those things. And what happened to Revelation about Anything, sacrificial system, uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the dietary laws in the Old Testament, uh, uh, praise and worship. What happened to all of those things as they passed through the cross? Because if you don't understand what happened at the cross and how it affected everything that God had to say, then you are going to be deficient. You know, and so I, whenever I hear people talking about judgment, the judgment of God is going to come. And they quote nothing but Old Testament scripture. And I stop and say, huh, okay. So God had nothing to say about prophecy for the last 2,000 years. God had nothing to say about the prophetic for the last 2,000 years. You know, and so what happens is, you know, when we understand the, the prophetic, we understand that the judgment of God fell on the person of Jesus. So that we understand that we have a new covenant. The old covenant was, if you do this, then I will do this. But the new covenant says, I have come to do your will, O God, says the Lord. And he goes to the cross and the judgment of God falls on him. And then on, on the other side of that, we have a teaching in the, in the epistles by the apostle Paul, who says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that if any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Well, if I'm a new creature, then the judgment has already passed, and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, and God's not counting men's sins against them in Christ. So our message is believe on him. Yes. Believe on him, right? Okay. So, uh, so today's passage, uh, let's get, that was all the preamble. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let me share with you just a couple of verses out of the book of Luke. Uh, you don't have this, but I, I, I want to share it uh, to kind of give you the context. It says in verse uh, 17, uh, excuse me, verse 37 of Luke. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In verse 39, it says, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them, uh, he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, in that particular moment, if you read the other authors, Matthew and, and uh, Mark, they, it, will, it will say that it was actually the children that were making all the racket. 
and the children were making noise and praising God. And in what, what, what they didn't understand, uh, what we can look at now from the scripture and look back, is that the Pharisees were, were a bit intimidated because Jesus was being declared king. And they didn't agree with that. That was not their political stance. The Pharisees were in charge. The Pharisees told the people what to do. The Pharisees held, uh, held the, the political clout in the city of Jerusalem. But that day, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus coming into the city on a colt. And he's, he's saying by his coming in on that colt, he's fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy from Zechariah who said, behold, your king, Israel, here is your king right? And, and so the Pharisees were uptight because here's all this noise. You know, the, all these children running around saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're waving the palm branches. And it's a celebration that traditionally was reserved from generals who were returning from war with the spoils. And they were coming back in with their spoils of war and they had defeated death and they had come to, to, uh, into the city and it was a great celebration and all the palm branches were waved. And the Pharisees would get uptight because the children were running around. And in the, the scripture, I think it's the one in Matthew, is where it says, have you not read that through the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? That you and I may not be all that politically savvy, but we know Jesus is king. And we have become like little children. And we have placed Jesus on the throne. We've come to the place where we say, this is, this is what God says. And we're going to say the same thing God says. And if we'll simply say the same thing God says, we will be declared righteous. Right? So in your notes today, uh, let's go to Psalm 118. And this part I'm going to ask, ask you to read with me out loud. So it's up on the screen. It's also in your notes around, around you. Uh, verse 19. Let's say this out loud in your best voice. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate the Lord uh, through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen. Now, can you, if you didn't, had never heard the story of the, the triumphal entry, you could read Psalm 118 and you could imagine what was taking place at the triumphal entry, couldn't you? You could read Psalm 118 and you could see the pictures of this procession of people gathered out on the streets with bows in hand, this festal throng, and they're worshiping and they're declaring, God, you are our salvation. God, save us. And this is exactly what took place 
fulfilling prophecy. And so here's a, here's a few things that I want you to know from this text. Jesus fulfilled that 500-year-old prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9 when he rode into the city on the colt of a donkey. You know, in the story about the triumphal entry, do you remember the part where, uh, where Jesus tells his disciples, hey guys, I want you to go up the street here, go over here, and, and I want you to pick up a colt for me, you know? And if anybody asks you, just tell them the Lord needs it. Put yourself in the seat of the of the disciples right then right like how are you feeling about that right at that moment like you know that you're about to be arrested for grand theft donkey and you're gonna go get this donkey and you're gonna get there and the only thing you got to say is the lord needs it like is that my get out of jail free card can jesus can you put that in writing just write it down for me so that I can say, you know. And so, and so the disciples go and they get this colt. And just like Jesus said, they release the colt and they come back and they say, ooh, that's pretty, all right. We got the colt. We're doing what the Lord wants to do. And, and so they get up there. And, uh, and this is what's interesting though. Tie this back into another time when Saul, uh, when, when Samuel and Saul were having a conversation and Saul was out looking for some donkeys and uh, and Samuel tells him exactly where the donkeys were going to be right and it was it was right at the time when when Saul was going to be uh the oil was going to be poured on him and he was going to become king right this is preparation for kingship and here's these here's these donkeys and the word of the lord comes and says hey uh, the donkeys are right here just go pick them up and take it back it'll be a sign so the donkeys were where he was told they would be, and these were signs of that kingly anointing. The people of Jerusalem fulfilled the messianic overtones of Psalm 118 when they pulled out those palm branches. They were fulfilled. They didn't know it, but they just said, hey, we see the colt, and we see this man Jesus, and we've heard about the things that he's done. And so they, rising up from within them, they were declaring him to be the Messiah. He wasn't saying it with his own words, but through the prophetic act of what he was doing, the people recognized and said, he's the one. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one we've been waiting for. When Holly and I were at Windsor Castle last Sunday, uh, there's this hall that they, I don't forget what they call it, the Great Hall or something like that. This huge hall is probably longer. It's a room that's probably longer from, it's 107 feet from that screen to that back wall. And so it's probably, it's longer than that. And on both sides, up all the way, huge, probably the ceiling, not quite as high as ours, probably 10 feet lower, but up both sides of the wall and up onto the ceiling, uh, you, you can see the ages of, you know, it, it's, it's like a hall of history. And as you walk down, you'll see a coat of arms. You'll have a, a, a portrait of a king on a horse, or maybe he's not on a horse, but, uh, but then there'll be pieces of that, that related to his reign. And, and then, and, you know, a statement underneath, this is who he was, this is where he lived, this is what he did. And, and from one end to the other, you can just go the history of, of the, the UK all the way down through there. And it's fascinating to me uh, because, you know, the, we, don't, we don't think much uh, about a monarchy that way. We, if you're a his, history buff, you know, you, you, like, you, you might visit history a little bit, but they live it. 
they live it. It's, it's the traditions. This is where they would do great celebrations. Dignitaries would be brought in. They have a table that, it, you know, it, it probably the only thing, the closest thing to it is going to be the marriage supper of the lamb. You can see, I think it's over 160 people at the table that they put in this great hall. And that's where they have great meals. And, and they're surrounded by all of the history and the story of, of England, right? Um, and so when, when there's this rehearsal of the, of these, uh, this information, the rehearsal of these facts, it, it causes there to be the sense of we're part of something that's been going on for a very, very long time. We're part of something that's permanent. We're part of something that's, that's, uh, that's not just going to pass away. Right? So when you go to Windsor Castle, they can show you this wing was added in this century, this wing was added in this century, you're walking around there, and you get a sense of the bigness. I've got some pictures uh, when we went to the town of Bath of this huge cathedral, and you can look straight up. And in America, uh, because we're, we're much younger, right, and it's, oh, oh well, best you can, this is Gloucester, 1651, 1651, eh, they got a thousand years on us over there. But what they built with that remains gives you a sense of the majesty of God. In America, we like the buddy-buddy Jesus. We, we like that Jesus is intimate with us. And we like that Jesus is as close as the mention of his name. And we like that he's our friend who sticks closer than a brother. When you go to England, you get a sense of majesty because majesty is their world. Kingship is their world. In our world where we, we're, you know, the, well, we got the better way, we got democracy. And I'm not saying we don't have some really, really good things. But can I tell you, I've been in some countries that, that seem to do it better than we do. And, and please don't throw your patriotic rotten tomatoes at me. <laughs> but I'm just saying, go to, go to Singapore and walk around and their streets are cleaner. The people are well taken care of. They don't have fights and riots breaking out on their back streets right? Uh, they, there's a lot of, and, and what, do they, what do they do? What do they do? Well, you know, they, they call it a fine city because you get fined for everything. Spit on, the, spit on the street, you'll get a fine. Spit out your gum, you'll get a fine, you know? And, uh, and, but, but the people police themselves as a result. I asked the driver one day, I said, how come I don't see too many police officers in, in Singapore? In fact, I think I'd been there a week and I hadn't seen any, any sign of any cops. He said, oh, Singaporeans don't really need police. So we police ourselves. Very wealthy nation, but you don't own stuff. You don't own stuff, right? You lease, you have a 99-year lease on, on, on your uh, land that the government helped you buy. Uh, 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 probably, you know, when you, you start out, you work two years for the Singaporean government. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. I just, I, I just want you to know, I just want you to know that we're not the only game in town. And that we can learn some things from other parts of the world that have done it right. And one of the things that's been a loss in the American church is our lack of understanding of, of the majesty of King Jesus. That we don't understand his majesty. We don't understand his bigness. We don't understand that God rules it all, owns it all. Is, he holds everything in his sovereign hand. And we don't get that. We don't like that part of God. We, we, like, we like that I'm in charge. We like our opinions too well. 
But God doesn't consult our opinions. Here's the, here's the, the idea. If you were to trace back, uh, 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 oh, I just got back into the hall. Uh, uh, if we were to trace everything back in England, all the way back, all the way back, all the way back, we'd go through the years of the crown jewels, we'd go all the way back. There would have been a statement by, by a, a, a vicar or a pope who would have had another uh, human being who would have been declared king by the church. And they would have said, ha, you're the king. You are royalty. So there was a declaration somewhere, somehow, all the way back in England's history, you're the king. You're the queen. You have royalty and you own all of this. Everything belongs to you. We don't get that in America. We don't understand that kind of thinking. But when you look at the word of God, you will realize it is God who said, my son is the king. God declared it. God declares who Jesus is. He, he declares, my son has taken, the, uh, has taken the keys of death, hell, and the grave. My son has the title deed to all of humanity. That's the scroll you find in the book of Revelation. The title deed to all of humanity is in the hands of Jesus. Right? So the words were spoken. And so you and I need to get an understanding of that today. Let's go uh, quickly through my uh, points so that you won't think this is a pointless message. Um, the, the king's entrance brings the promise of our right standing with God. How do you know if you're right with God? Are you doing what God has said you should do? Then you're right with God. Are you, are you honoring his word and saying, I have come to him? And what, what do you have to do? The, the first step when you're approaching God, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You may not believe in a, 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 a six-day creation and on the seventh rested. Well, I think it's more like, you know, those were a thousand years or those were 10,000 years. It's okay. Well, you may, you may not believe in the full inerrancy of Scripture. You know what? If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'll let the Holy Spirit convince you of everything else. The only thing you need to know is what God says about his son. And when you agree with what God says about his son, then you are considered righteous. You're considered righteous by God. You know, he, he, Jesus is the only mediator. I'm not your mediator. I'm not going to come tell you how, you know, you, you got to do your house the way I do my house. Because if you don't do your house the way I do my house, you are obviously not righteous. You are obviously not with it. No, I, I have a way, but I don't have the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so the king's entrance uh, brings the promise of our right saying, when God declares you're righteous, you're righteous, but we have to enter his way. Secondly, the king's entrance brings the fullness of our salvation, the saving, delivering, and healing. Go with me to verse 21. Of, of Psalm 118 again. It says, uh, I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Now, that this is written in Hebrew, obviously. Probably the closest word that we have, you know, the, the word for salvation in the Greek is the word sozo. And it's a lot more complex than just, uh, as Americans, remember the reductionist mindset that we have? We, we'll, we're used to, you know, tell me what I need, Pastor Ken, in order to go to heaven. We, you know, we want fire insurance more than we want anything else. 
Men love darkness rather than light, but we don't like pain. So, you know, if, you can, if I can get out of hell free, I, that's what I want. Give me, give me my get out of hell free card, right? But salvation in the Lord's mind is for your healing, it's for your deliverance. It's for your wholeness. It's that God wants to bring abundant life to you. He wants to help you with your thinking. He wants to help you with your emotions. He wants to help you with your marriage. He wants to help you with your kids. He wants to help you with your workplace. He wants to help you with your money. He wants to help you. God is our salvation. He didn't leave anything out of it. It's all there. It's all available to us in God. And, and so what Jesus is looking for is he's looking for a people who will name him as king so that he can can pour his salvation into your life so that he can pour his wholeness into your life. You know, the number one thing that stops us from uh, really taking a hold of all that is our pride. It's our pride. Well, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like getting down on my knees on a Sunday morning. Huh. The Bible says that the broad way leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to life. Now, so, so in, in those two statements there, here's, here's the thing I want you to understand. My way will get me in trouble. There is a way that seems right to a man and the end of it is death. Doing things my way, I did it my way. Can I tell you how many Funerals I've done that had both amazing grace and my way. Do you, do, does that not bother you? That just bothers me. Like what? What? Who picked this? What was that about? Right? And in the midst of it, I preached the gospel. And it's like, I feel like, yeah. Your pride will get in the way. Your, your pride has to be let go of. You've got to say, you know what? It's not my opinion that counts. It's God's opinion that counts. And I'm going to choose God's opinion because his way is better than my way, right? His ways are above my ways, right? Um, so we've, we've got to get a hold of that. Um, so the king's entrance brings the promise of a right standing. The king's entrance brings the fullness of our salvation, our saving, our healing, our delivering. And, and then thirdly, the king's entrance brings victory and thanksgiving to our souls. When you and I realize that we can't add anything to what it is that God has already done, that you could, you could work your fingers to the bone for the gospel and God won't love you one iota more than he did before you ever said yes to Jesus. Now, will we get rewarded for the things done in this body? Yes, we'll get rewarded. But just heaven, how amazing. Just the person of Jesus causes, when I know that I can't add anything to it, that salvation is a free gift, that, that the proper response to my king is simply humble thanksgiving. God, you don't owe me a thing. If he never answered another prayer, if he never did anything. The problem is we set God up to fail very often. Well, God, if you don't answer this prayer, uh-huh, well, you can do that. <laughs> you know what you're going to do? You're going to get offended with God because you thought God was your cosmic bellhop. You, you thought in America, you know, we order God around. 
I don't know how the God became something different in America than he was anywhere else. I think he's the God of the Bible. But we, we put our understanding of how God ought to work as a lens between us and the Bible. And our pride puts us in this spot where we'll get offended with God. Well, God, you didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. Well, then you would have been God, right? Like if you're bigger than him and you can tell him what to do, I guess you're in charge. But I thought he was. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. Scripture tells us, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. Let me, let me help you to understand something real quick. And I'm going I'm to stop here with this thought. The Bible tells us that, uh, that in the Old Testament, in order to approach God, only the high priest would make it into a very unique place, right? So there was the outer court, there was the inner court, and there was the Holy of Holies. And this was 40 years in the wilderness with Moses. This was the tabernacle. This was the presence of God. We, we come today and we say, man, I sense the presence of God at Lighthouse on 4299 George Washington Memorial Highway. And, and the presence of God's here. And, and how did the presence of God get here when the presence of God was only in that little space back in the day? How did that happen? right? And then in the temple, the Bible tells us that there are, there are a lot of differences between the tabernacle, which is a portable worship center, and, and, then, the ta- and then the temple, the tabernacle is the portable, the temple was the real deal, uh, the big place, right? And, and yet those three spaces were pretty much the same, the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. What separated the inner court from the Holy of Holies was, was a, what was called the veil. They called it a veil. And it was a, a tapestry that was made of like a, this goat hair mesh. And it was very heavy and it was very thick. And, uh, and so, you know, mesh like that, you know, doesn't tear easily. It wasn't, it wasn't just a single uh, rose of fabric, but it was layer upon layer. And it was held there in place. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus went on the cross, there was an earthquake, there was darkness, and during the earthquake and the darkness, the Bible tells us that the veil in the temple was torn from the top all the way down to the bottom. Can you imagine? How did that, I don't know, two angels kind of doing tug of war, I don't know exactly what happened. You know, my mind, you know, I, I have the mind of like a 10-year-old, so that's the kind of, what, okay, how did that go on? How did that, you know, and so I, I, my mind is trying to figure it out, but here's the, here's the reality. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that the veil was simply a picture of how God was going to give us access to him. It was simply a picture and that the veil that separated the outer court or the uh, the inner court in the holy of holies is the body, the physical body of the person of Jesus. The physical body. How do you approach God? You've got to go through the physical body. The veil is his body. And the Bible says that because Jesus is still alive, that is a new and living way by which we approach God. So we don't have formulas. Step one, step two, step three. We have a Savior who never dies. And he's holding out access for us, ever making intercession for us. He's always, Jesus is always praying for you. 
He's praying for you not just because of his uh, stature and his status, but because his body is that new and living way. He always says, come on, you've got, you can approach the throne. You can approach the throne. You need more grace today? Oh, it's been a tough week. Come on, you got grace. You got, we got plenty of grace. We got plenty of what you need. Come on, come on, get more. Come on, get more. Come on, get more. Right? We have been given access to the Father. Some people say that we got in because now we are royal priesthood in a holy nation. Other people say God got out because now the presence of God is available in ordinary Virginia just like it was available to God's chosen people for all of those years. We have access to the presence of God by the body of King Jesus. I'm not in love with dogma. I'm not in love with a text. I'm in love with a person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in love with my Savior. He's my King. He, he has given meaning to my life since I was 17 years old. When I, when I stood up and talked to those uh, students last week, I said, you know, I said, you know, just a little bit of context about me. I said, I'm a pastor. That means I'm a shepherd. And I said, I guess you could say that I've been, I met the good shepherd and I've been reading the good book every week uh, for, for the past, I don't know, 30, what is that? 30, I'm 54, 37 years. For the past 37 years, I've been reading the good book at least every week, maybe not every day, but every week. And, uh, and now I'm going to teach you to be good for nothing. Simply because God is good and he needs representatives to share his goodness. And in this life, it may look like nothing, but in the next life, God says, that's how you do it, son. That's how you do it, daughter. Let me show you. Let me show you. Great is your reward because you chose to go through the new and living way, the person of Jesus Christ. This morning, before we leave, you may have had numerous encounters with the Lord. Maybe you're here today just kind of kicking the tires on church or kicking the tires on a walk with God. You've had numerous encounters maybe with the Lord. Maybe you were privately just going down the road and all of a sudden you just felt some presence. You, you felt something and you, you knew it was God. I, I don't know how to describe this, but you know what I'm talking about if it's happened to you. You know, it could have been, it could have been, there, there could have been some, you know, some, you know, the hair stands up on the back of your neck or just like when somebody says something, all of a sudden you go, whoa, what was that? That was, oh, wow. And you, it wasn't evil. Because I've, I've had that around evil too. But I'm talking about you knew that it was the Lord. Can I tell you, the supernatural experiences are, are fine. But what you need to get out of that is a kingship experience with Jesus. You need to discover his majesty for yourself. You need to elect Jesus king of your life. Because when Jesus is king, then you have access to all the resources of heaven, all the king's domain, everything that he has then belongs to you, and you have access to it. And you never feel left out. You never feel uh, without. You never feel, and, and Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. He said, I'm, I'm the gate to the sheep. 
And if you come in through me, you're going to find abundant life. That was a huge saying, right? And there's only one person who could ever say it and back it up. Jesus Christ. He is our sovereign. He is our king. And he's got such an amazing plan for your life that he's been thinking about for a very, very long time. Most of us can't think past lunch. But God is the ancient of days. And the Bible says in Psalm 139 that all the days ordained for you were written in his book before one of them came to be. He already knows you. The problem is, if you don't know Jesus as king, you don't know him. You don't know him. And you need to know him. Because that's when life just gets started. Bible says there's two kinds of life. Did I say I was closing? This is my second. Allow me three. The Bible says this, and I, I just, I, you can stand, okay? This is getting real. You can stand. Go ahead, stand. The Bible describes that there are two kinds of life. There's bio life, that's biology is the, the, the root word for that, you know? Uh, we have biological life. You but then there's Zoe. And the Bible says in, in, uh, in 1 John, it says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life, Zoe. He who has the son has Zoe. He who does not have the son does not have Zoe, does not have life. And if you've been trying to make sense of life, when all you have is bio, it will never make sense to you. You've been playing with half a deck. People that knew you already knew that, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I just couldn't resist. You and I don't understand life until we understand who Jesus is. And all I can say is that you're surrounded by people that if I ask right now, let me do it. You've made Jesus Lord of your life and King of your life, and you're not ashamed of the gospel. Lift up your hand. All of us have been where you are. We were walking around with just bio. And somewhere along the line, we heard a message. And, and Holy Spirit spoke on the inside of us and said, this is true, this is real, and this is what you need. This is what you've been missing. And we said yes to Jesus. And in that moment, the Bible says life came on the inside of us. The lights came on. Once I was blind, but now I see. Amen. Could we just bow our heads right now? Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you that we can stand in awe of your majesty today. We are so thankful that we can be here in this place to celebrate your kingship. Lord, if you didn't want to make yourself known, there is no possible way we could have figured you out. But Lord, you gave us plenty of lead time. Several thousand years, as a matter of fact. You gave us a book. You wrote it all down. You sent your spirit to teach us the word. And you brought us to a place today so that we could proclaim this message clearly. 
Father, I just pray today for every person in this room that if they have not made Jesus king, if they haven't agreed with what you said about your son, that today would be the day they would agree with you. They would agree with what you said. They would agree with what heaven and earth have done. Jesus, you brought heaven to earth to show us what life could really be about. As every head's bowed this morning and eyes are closed, we're going to take just a minute right here. I'm going to close us out in a song in just a moment. But before we sing, if you'd like to be included in prayer, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you've never made him your sovereign king, you do that by your own voice. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. If that's you and you've never done that and you want to make Jesus king today, lift up your hand right where you're at, all over this place. Let's take just a moment online. This is for you too, not just in the building. You've never made Jesus Lord, but today you want to. I'll take just a minute. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Father, I thank you that all of us here in this room are people that would confess, we know Jesus. We know he's Lord. We know he's real. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we would take uh, seriously the, the call that you have given to us, even through Bruce Barton last week, to look after souls, to win souls. And so, Father, I pray that we would be diligent this week to reach out to people that maybe don't know you and bring them to Easter Sunday next week. Father, use us for your glory, we pray. Lord, we want to see people come to Jesus every time we gather. Lord, that's just in our hearts. We, we want people to know you. We want people to love you the way we do. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus.